This episode of Real Ag Radio is brought to you by the complete FMC lineup of pre-seed, pre-emergent herbicides. Apply them with or without glyphosate and get the action you need. Burn off, extended control, and complete solutions before seeding your key crops. See your local retailer today. It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and realagriculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Friday edition of the show. It is my last show this week from the Big Easy in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm here for the NCBA Cattle Convention. It's been a great week. And that's exactly where we're going to start today. We've got Ann Wasco from the Gateway Livestock Exchange here for a beef market update. We'll talk about a lot of the stuff that I've heard here at convention and get her perspective on it. We've also got... Uh, a Real Ag Issues panel here today. Lindsay Smith, Kelvin Hepner, we'll talk about all the big issues of the week. Lindsay was out on location in downtown Ottawa earlier this week for a for kind of a big 100,000-foot uh, meeting. Uh, it involved Cappy and a bunch of presenters, some big heavy hitters in the industry, to uh, chat about kind of, are, are we unleashing our potential or are we getting on our own way. And we'll have that and uh, and a whole lot more here on that issues panel. If you have any feedback on today's show, we'd love to hear from you. The best way to get a hold of us is send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us on social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Or you can call that Real Ag Listener line 855-776-6147. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got Ann Wasco standing by. You're listening to Real like radio, rural radio 147. Sometimes it only takes a small change to drive big results, like adding Simtrix bio based fertilizer to your crop fertility program this year. Our dark, dry granules are compact and brimming with potential. Simtrix is loaded with slow release nitrogen that feeds your crops today, enriches your soil for the future, and increases your yields year after year. Discover how Simtrix delivers an improved return on your fertilizer investment at www.futureoffertilizer.ca. Whether you're a rookie soybean grower or a seasoned vet, the Soybean School on RealAgriculture.com has exactly what you need to stay in the game. The latest research and the best agronomic advice from industry experts, along with local and global market coverage on demand anywhere, anytime. Make this growing season your best growing season with the Soybean School on RealAgriculture.com. Co-op AgZone Field is a digital agronomy tool designed to help optimize your operation. Through integrated layers of satellite imagery, soil maps, yield data, and more, Co-op Grow Team members use AgZone Field to provide organized, timely, in-season data, allowing you to make informed management decisions quickly and effectively. Trust your Co-op Grow Team to support your operation with AgZone Field. Contact your local Co-op today.
Come check out farmingtheweb.ca, a practical, free, and user-friendly classified site for farmers to buy and sell their agriculture projects online. Now with new and improved features to make your experience even better. Buy, sell, get back to work. Visit farmingtheweb.ca. It's now time to talk cattle markets for our beef market update with Ann Wasco, the Gateway Livestock Exchange. Ann, great to chat with you. Yes, good to be here, Sean. I, I'm missing you this week in New Orleans, though. I got I got to say that. I'm missing it, so let's not bring it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the cattle markets, and we're not gonna talk about CattleCon all 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 this whole segment. Is that what you're saying? How 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 are we? That's doing what that? I'm saying. I, okay. I think you're not hearing me, but that's what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, really miss being there. Really miss being there. But uh, watching the tweets and all the social media around it, that's fun. Yeah, it's been a pretty good week here. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this before we get into some of the the specific stuff of this week, what happened in the, in the cattle markets. I I have found for a sector that there is a lot of positives, but there there has been profitability concerns for obviously the rancher. The feed yards had periods of uh, you know struggles financially. Optimism seems like encouraging here, um, which is uh, really good to see. Uh, that's been my kind of perception. What, what do you make of that? Well, that's good. And I'm not overly surprised, Sean, by that. I mean, in terms of our cattle business and just how our beef production cycle runs, we can have a pretty good window out in front in terms of forecasting that supply. And because we've seen the North American cow herd basically decimated due to drought and lack of profitability, it's becoming more clear with each report, and we don't even need these reports, but with each data point that's coming out, this week's USDA cattle inventory report, for example, that just tells us about smaller supplies ahead. And then on the backside, we continue to get this very good news about demand, whether it's domestic beef consumption or export consumption for both of our countries. You put those two pieces together without black swan events, that's bullish news. And so I, I get that that's, but it's again, as I think you've probably heard at the convention, long overdue for, for both the Canadian and U.S. sectors. Yeah, you know, Randy Block from Cattlefax, he's he put it really well when he said, you know, we we just need more profitability in into the cow calf sector. Like and there, I heard, you know, there was some applause when he said it too because uh yeah, for sure. And and a part of that is weather, right? Um yeah. we need a change in the weather pattern. We need grass in order to be able to be it to be feasible. Not not just, you know, for people to be excited, but for it to be feasible to retain yeah. more heifers. Right. And so even with good, mo- let's, let's make the assumption that we're getting some better news. We need to see it in actual um, moisture events, but better news about upcoming weather pattern changes in 23 and beyond. Um, we, we really need to see that take hold because until that happens, cow-calf producers don't retain heifers, don't make those decisions. And it's a two-year out you know, time frame after that decision's made before that calf crop increases in size. So it's a long, long window, a long tail, as they say, and uh, we need to be able to start turning that uh, sooner rather than later. But cow calf producers also want to, you know, clearly see that we've we're this is the part of the cycle where they need a few years of some very good returns from a profitability perspective. Uh, absolutely. What, what do we see this week in the markets? 
Well, quiet, I guess. So as far as U.S. cash is concerned, we haven't traded. It still could trade here later today. Um, the Certainly the sellers, feedlots are asking for more money in the south. I'm hearing, you know, 158-ish is an ask, um, but uh, packers haven't bit yet. And uh, kind of a 252 or better delivered for address trades in the north are the asks. But as it sits today, um, at this point, as we're chatting here, we haven't seen trade. But I, I do think it's going to be higher the question is how much so we'll wait and listen for that later today in the in the news um the cutout we did see uh, that trend is lower and we've talked about that when even when Lindsay and i talked two weeks ago uh they were down the choice cutout down about three and a half bucks this week we're at 265 again not out of the ordinary for this time of year it typically kind of slips right into into february before we start to turn that corner and see cutout prices move higher into that spring demand so that one's kind of fits fits what we'd be expecting. Back home in Alberta, we saw Fed cattle markets certainly um, stronger, still quiet, light trade in Western Canada as well, but 320 to 321 delivered drafts, that, that's anywhere from steady to three higher, depending on what measurement you want to take from last week. Um, so the market continues to, and I think I used this word with Lindsay two weeks ago, grind higher. And so that's what we're doing again. I've got a kind of a little bit of a warning sign or a red flag still on these Canadian steer carcass weights. So Sean, they're big. Oh, what? why? <laughs> well, we haven't cleaned up yet. And um, so last, just to put it, to put some numbers in perspective, last week was another record steer weight again, 957 pounds. Um, that's 34 pounds over last year and 31 over the five-year average. So it's a big number. Um, U.S. weights are down 10 pounds. So that, you know, they've have clearly from last quarter, you know, cleaning up more current and gaining that leverage ground. And we're still, we're still fighting it. So again, it's just, we've had so many cattle on feed. That's been our, you know, our Achilles heel all through 22. And we're carrying it into first quarter of 23, obviously to get out from these cattle that, you know, continue to be behind in their, in their marketing rate for sure. Yeah. And, and more pen space being added. Like I've, I've heard about numerous yeah. expansions and, you know, new lot, like yeah, th- th- that isn't, that's going to become more of a thing going forward. Is it not? Well, it has been, and I think you know we've been following. Canfax does a demographic report on the on the size of the Western Canadian feedlot sector and pen space and capacity each year, and so that report will come out um, next month, I believe. But you know, even if you go back to last year's report, that was an eighteen percent increase in in capacity over the last um, handful of years, and we know when this report comes out, it's going to be bigger again than, than the report in twenty two. So here we are. You know, everybody's been scratching their heads over you know, uh, how do we fill these pens? Well, we've talked about this, Sean, you import the feeder cattle, you import the corn um, to to fill more capacity because it's not coming, clearly it's not coming from the Western Canadian or the Canadian cow herd for that matter. Okay, so if we've got to import U.S. corn and import U.S. feeder cattle, what's the advantage to feeding in Western Canada? I'll have to send you some phone numbers. I just okay. No, no. Okay, I, I get you. No, okay. I, no. That that is when I say we're scratching our heads. We're literally scratching our heads. I mean that, that one just um, and and then you layer this wide Canadian basis on. I, I could make that storyline for you, Sean, if we had a strong basis. You know that that one. I that you could write that in. Yeah, the Canadian dollar is weak, and that would make sense. But we've got this very weak basis and we struggled with it all through 22 and we're still there 
here today. We're minus, you know, sixteen, seventeen dollars mm-hmm. under the U.S. market today. So it's, you know, I wish I, I wish those dots lined up. That's why maybe somebody else will know the answer to that. I got you. Okay, uh, you know, protein demand has been a big discussion here this week. I've got an interview going up at realagriculture.com with Don Close from Terrain. I've got a conversation with Kevin Good from Cattle Facts. And when we when we talk about demand, one of the things I got from the Cattle Facts seminar yesterday was, although okay, first of all, we are demand is very strong in the premium cuts. So even with the economic issues, people have not just moved to ground beef. We are doing exceptionally well in the premium cuts. The other part of this is if you compare the, the poultry, pork, and beef, beef is not winning the share of stomach. That's poultry is winning that one. But the share of the protein wallet beef is doing tremendously well, which corresponds to that first point that I made. So demand has been strong for, for beef. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, we're still waiting for some final data in Canada, but Canfax had released um, um, some early data um, a couple weeks ago that talked about 2022 being a record demand year for, for Canadian beef uh, in Canada. So that's great news. And and just to add on that, Sean, we did have um, StatsCan release the December retail price data for beef, pork, and, and poultry, and, and the beef price was down. So um, be aware as we're talking about retail prices, we have seen, yes, they did peak back in the fall there, but since then we've seen beef prices coming down, and they were actually below a year ago um, nationally when StatsCan released that December data. So um, beef prices, yeah, they were, they've been strong, but um, they're not continuing that direction. They, there has been some reprieve in the last couple of months. Thanks a lot, Anne. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Have yourself a great weekend. Okay, you too, Sean. Thanks for the chat. We'll be right back on Real Ag Radio with the Real Ag Issues panel right after this. AAC Hockley's certified CWRS wheat is the next generation in genetic potential with high yields, improved grain protein, and industry-leading standability. FP Genetics certified CWRS wheat varieties are setting new yield and performance expectations for Western Canadian farmers. Visit fpgenetics.ca to find your local FP Genetics seed retailer and book your seed today. As you look ahead to the next growing season, there's a lot to consider when it comes to your crop. You need every possible advantage available to you. The Pulse School on realagriculture.com has everything you need to make the best choice for you and your farm. On-demand videos with leading industry experts available anywhere, anytime. Go into the season confident and ready with The Pulse School on realagriculture.com. In the last decade plus, we've seen quite a significant rise in genetic potential for yield with some of these newer varieties. Look forward to bigger yields uh, and better protein profiles as well. On a per ton basis, because we're producing more and more grain on on every acre of land, our energy use in the last 30 years has declined by 30%. That's an incredible story. Keep up with all the latest in wheat at the Wheat School on realagriculture.com. back to Real Ag Radio for the Real Ag Issues panel here on this Friday. Let's bring our guests in, or our panelists, I should say. It is up first, Lindsay Smith from Ottawa, Ontario. Lindsay, welcome back. Great to chat with you. 
Mm-hmm. I could be a guest. I wonder what, what's the difference. Well, I would I, like to know. Do I get a gift bag? I, I've said before a guest accidentally <laughs> with Pete on Mondays, and he's like, "Guest? What do you mean, guest?" Mm. <laughs> Gets all sensitive about it. I don't mind. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like sorry uh yeah no doing well had uh, had a pretty good week here and we are now in a deep freeze um this makes me feel like like i'm finally home uh because i'm hearing the ice cracking on my roof um so yeah so mm. ottawa does not usually get this cold for very long so we'll just revel in it for a little while well i'm still sitting here in new orleans and it is uh it's been foggy for two days today is bright and sunny and uh i'm looking forward to uh going for a walk it's going to be nice. Take that. Yeah, go find some alligator or something. Yeah, there you go. Some turtle soup, maybe. How yeah. about that? Mm-hmm. Also with us here today is Kelvin Hepner out of Altona, Manitoba. Kelvin, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Doing well. It's uh, I think we're in the last official day of, uh, according to Environment Canada, of uh, deep freeze here in uh, this part of Western Canada, at least. Uh, next week, it's supposed to... Wind has shifted to the south today, and it's supposed to turn warm over the weekend. So, mm. uh, it's uh, it's been a cold, a frigid week here, uh, a true uh, Manitoba winter type situation. Yeah, I'm supposed to fly tomorrow to Toronto out of New Orleans, and uh, I- I'm hoping, like, I just I'm dreading the flight issues. I'm really hoping that uh, weather makes it uh, doesn't doesn't ruin tomorrow, which would be a nice travel Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. So everybody keep their fingers crossed. Okay, uh, lots to chat about, but first I want to tell you about Heads Up Seed Treatment. Protect your beans from rhizotonia root rot, white mold, and SDS with Heads Up. Visit your nearest Eggermart location or visit headsupst.com to learn more. Lindsay, earlier this week you were downtown in the, the core of Toronto, and you were at an interesting event, a very snappy title, Canadian Agriculture in a Hungry World. One of the presenting organizations was CAPI. Tyler McCann, head of CAPI, has been on this show several times on our panel. What, what were the takeaways? What, what did you hear? There's some heavy hitters that were in attendance and uh, also on the agenda. What were your takeaways? Well, that I don't own a very fancy suit. So, yeah, so we were in downtown Ottawa. Uh, no, so hats off to the organizers. It was an, an amazing gathering of people. Um, so from the the breadth of, you know, we had ambassadors there. We had, um, you know, government. We had industry. We had, like, just a really amazing group of people and a fantastic agenda, which was really fascinating. But there were some emerging themes. And I, I think earlier in the week, there were some of the interviews I did were on, on the show. Um, but there were definitely some themes and it was interesting. So some of the speakers were sort of in that line, you know, referencing the Barton Report, which Dominic Barton was actually on one of the panels, uh, you know, and and keeping with this, you know, we have so much potential, aren't we great? Flipping it over to look, we know we're we have all these resources, but we're we're floundering here. We're not necessarily making the most of what we have, and we need to stop politicizing the decisions on on infrastructure and and the framework to really be a Canadian a global agriculture superpower. So. There was definitely sort of some opposition. It was not a big love fest, like sometimes you do see. There was definitely some some tougher discussions to hear as far as just just how far behind we are on some things. But I think it was um, there was one comment made that 
as an example of how much we've politicized some of the decisions that have to be made, imagine if right now we had to we had to create a cross Canada highway. Could we get it done? No. No, no. There, way. And that is a perfect example of what the heck. Right. So right now, there is no way politically that would ever happen. So what does that tell you? That we got problems, Kelvin. We got- Could we build that highway? Oh, no. We uh, look at look at all the issues with the rail system and grain transportation in, in Western Canada. And uh, now uh, lately, the, the spotlight has been on the port at Vancouver specifically and the issues there with uh, with rain and, and weather uh, hampering uh, performance of the grain system this year. Uh, and, and every year, but there's been a spotlight on, on that this year. We can't even figure out how to load load grain when it's raining in Vancouver, which is, I don't know how, what is that? Two thirds of the time, probably. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't, that's, that's one of the issues in today's world. There's so many stakeholders and, and, uh, checks and regulations and, and things that red tape that things have to go through that, uh, it's tough to get big projects done. You know, so when, if I ahead. can add, there was, there was, uh, there was a, a point about, you know, it not being about government funding everything either. It was about government creating the environment by which capital wants to flow. Yeah. And, and that's where we're falling flat. And so the money is going to go elsewhere and we really need to do something about it. I wrote an opinion column. This, this it's like, this is very similar to what Carlo Dade and I from Canada West and Dave Smarden from BioEnterprise our panel at Grow was was really along this, and I yep. wrote a column about that. Um, that's at realagriculture.com. It s- sounds very parallel, and some of the same criticisms that Carlo and Dave, or Carlo and Dave, Carlo and Dave, <laughs> had on on that panel as well. Um, go ahead. I was just going to quickly say. Government is its own worst enemy in in this case, where they come to the table with money and and uh, promoting themselves as the solution to all these problems. When, like Lindsay said, the focus should be on creating the environment for investment, private investment. Mm-hmm. This is where government kind of they because they want the political point. They can't fund it all, but when government has money, they presented as the solution to these problems. That's because they that's we're we're on that 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 nipple right where they they want they they want the political points and so they're they're more concerned about their own value than actually solving the problem and and that's always short term right oh extremely no, right like even in the best case scenario they've got 4 years so and then and then it's all up in the air. And so we have, I think, and I know it's not a new complaint, but I think that if you look at the last 10, 15 years, it feels like we have edged ever closer to just the now and not thinking longer term. And and realistically, we are now very behind the eight ball here that if we're not going to make this environment now, we are drastically going to fall behind in the coming years, even more so. Kelvin, a, a lot of attention on some of the same narrative. Uh, the the for some people they will be yelling at their at their radio right now or phone and saying, like the fertilizer emission reduction, um, government getting in the way potentially of productivity. There's been a lot made this week of what's being called by TNC News as the fertilizer files. 
they've, uh, they, they've come across or they requested some documents from the government and basically saying the government intended potentially to take a re- take regulatory action when it came to forcing farmers to reduce fertilizer the voluntary way did not work now you you you're much more on this file than i am i wasn't was there anything new here i i i guess we had a there was a a government document but well, all of this seems to be what we already knew before, or am I, have I missed something? Tell There is some new it. internal stuff that has come out here. Uh, True North has, uh, through a, an access to information request, uh, been able to acquire a bunch of documents, internal government discussions that took place behind the fertilizer emissions target policy as it was being developed over the last number of years. And so, yes, there is acknowledgement in these documents that at one point they considered what the effects would be, consequences would be, if there was a, a regulatory approach to enforcing a 30% emissions reduction from fertilizer. So I, I, I don't know if this changes the whole narrative. Certainly uh, some news outlets and, and if you're worried about this being a, a regulatory thing, eventually where it's enforced and, and mandatory, then this certainly fed those concerns. But I do think that this document shows that it was just one of many scenarios that was considered. And I I do think we should expect our government to do that type of analysis, do the due diligence on, okay, this is one extreme and this is the other extreme. And here's a spectrum of scenarios in between those two extremes. And so just because they considered the consequences of an extreme, I I don't know how much concern we should have that they were actually going to go with that approach. But yeah, at the same time, it it certainly doesn't... uh, doesn't create more confidence that uh, that they won't eventually go that way. Yeah, my my perception still is on this issue that so similar to the front of the the front of lab or front of package beef labeling where they're going to do the warning label. There's like the initial idea, the initial thought, and then realizing this is a way bigger issue than maybe we first like thought. And yeah. the industry groups have done a very, very good job, I think, of educating bureaucrats at AFC and Environment Canada on the consequences if, if we were to take some sort of mandatory approach to this. Um, so, you know, that it's good that that work's being done. And that's I guess, you know, um, two thumbs up for, for checkoff dollars in, in this example, Lindsay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, I, yeah. Once you're done, I'll see. Well, okay. Um, you can too, Calvin. Um, but one of the things I, I guess from this that, that I take from it is, first of all, I think that if you want to see malice, you can find it, right? I think that if you... If you envision that government sits down and government being this, you know, nebulous, whatever, sits down and is like, okay, how can we, you know, screw over Western Canada? You could put that through this lens and find things that support that. But if you think about from the other way, and this is maybe perhaps more realistic to some, is if you look at it as these are our goals and we recognize there's a cost to getting there, we're willing to take that risk, which to me changes the conversation a little bit. Because I don't think that that really what we've seen here is evidence of malice so much as a group of people in government that are very focused on an end goal and recognize there's going to be some shrapnel. So 
there's that. Uh, and and that to me means, sorry, that there is room to have these conversations and and do the lobbying and try and get something out of this that's workable. Go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say uh, further along those lines, these documents that uh, True North has published, these reports from this week, are a lot of them are, are just uh, conversations that took place between Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada employees with exactly that focus, Lindsay. They have this narrow scope focus of what do we do to reduce emissions from fertilizer and uh, and to, further to Sean's point we've mm-hmm. now got the more big picture discussion happening with industry groups and checkoff organizations and farmers individually voicing their concerns and and I think the context of where these documents came from it's it's in the offices of agriculture and agri-food Canada involving a small number of employees uh coming up with this, these different scenarios that they were considering or assessing the potential outcomes related to or the, the uh, consequences of. So, I, yeah, I, I think this was an early kind of early in the process uh, paper or conversations that happened. And, and now it's once it reaches the public realm and, and the public discussion happens, I, I think the direction... To further to Sean's point again, it has uh, has broadened and, and we're having a more well-rounded conversation about it and the implications of it now. Yeah, and if you look at some of the, the polling that's happened, they, they, they've got a popularity problem. So they the time is shifted on them too, where I, I just don't think they have the political will at this point to make this aggressive of a move. I, I still maintain, I will eat my words and I promise you, if I'm wrong, I will admit it and tell you, I think they're in full looking for the exit ramp. Where do we get off this freeway? Because we've bitten off way more than we can chew. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got more and a few thoughts from New Orleans here at the Cattle Convention as well. You're listening to Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147. Infuse some energy into your next corporate event, customer meeting, or conference with Real Ag Radio, Canada's national agriculture radio show. Create a unique experience at your next event with host Sean Haney, broadcasting Real Ag Radio live on Sirius XM, featuring exciting guests, captivating interviews, and the latest news from the agriculture community. Contact advertising at realagriculture.com or call 587-787-1795 to book your on-location with Real Ag Radio today. Before you get back in the field this year, spend some time with the Corn School on realagriculture.com. Get all the information you need on hybrid selection, planting depth, crop inputs, and more from a wide range of industry experts. A massive library of video content is available on demand when you need it most. Spend your time outside of the field, inside the classroom, with the Corn School on realagriculture.com. FP Genetics certified CWRS wheat varieties are setting new yield and performance expectations for Western Canadian farmers. Visit fpgenetics.ca to find out more from your local FP Genetics seed retailer and book your seed today. That is fpgenetics.ca. We are here with the Real Ag Issues panel Lindsay Smith, Kelvin Hepner, Sean Haney, all of Real Agriculture. Lindsay, Back to this lambda psi issue. Now, remember, this is silencer and matador insecticide for uh, everybody following along here. And uh, a lot of concern about the fact these tools are off the market for 2023. There is, there is a difference between Western and Eastern Canada. But this week, we heard from 
an Eastern farm group basically changing the recommendation or a suggestion to their membership. Explain what's happened here. So we've seen this before, uh, say in Western Canada on some of our pulses where an approved product is essentially given a red light or a yellow light saying, yes, it's approved, but please don't use it because of market issues. This is slightly different though, in that so the Grain Farmers of Ontario, along with uh, the Ontario Canola Growers and the Ontario Edible Bean Growers, have basically said that even though Lambda side containing products are registered for use in uh, Ontario and will be available for sale, they're basically saying that using them is considered off-label because the difference in the label states that you cannot use it on a feed crop. And we know that when we're growing the crop, we don't know if it's feed or not, and we don't know where the byproducts will end up. Lots of them do end up as feed. So again, we're seeing, so a bit different, but similar, we're seeing a registered product that is available for sale. Um, and basically, they're saying on canola, grain, edible beans, do not use it. It's considered off-label for 2023. Well, I happened to have a sit down yesterday with Dennis Laycraft of the Canadian Cattle Association. And because you know this has to do with feed, I, I asked him about it. And, and, and because we're here in New Orleans at the NCBA Cattle Con, I asked him if this issue ha- as it at all has come up with some of his U.S. counterparts uh, because shipping U.S. corn and DDGs to Canada is kind of a thing. It's a big deal. <laughs> Here's what Dennis had to say. You know, I suspect the first time they hear about it, they'd wonder, how could we be that crazy to do that? I mean, it's obviously probably going to give the U.S. feeding industry a competitive, huge competitive advantage over us. So, you know, hopefully it does, that gets resolved before it ever comes to that. I like that reaction, Kelvin. They, they're probably thinking, are these people crazy? <laughs> it's, that was so, I, yes, we are. That's the reaction I had to. Yeah, it's, uh, when you look at it that way, uh, from an outsider perspective, and, and I think that's the same reaction many farmers had when we first uh, heard about this uh, this change as well, or, or the impact it would have uh, kind of over the last number of months as this story has unfolded. Yeah, it, it's leaving a lot of questions and, and people scratching their heads. What? what? Yep. They're, they're banning it in, in feed, but not in food? How's this supposed to work, kind of thing? And I, there's still a lot of questions to be answered here. The piece of the and puzzle it, that I want sorted up, the people have, I I've still don't have an answer on why, why modeling results, modeling, why those take a priority over actual residue results. I still don't have an answer from anybody on that, Lindsay. And that to me is the piece that just, it, it's a big question mark. So, and we have spoken with Health Canada about what data they've used to inform the change in the label. And yes, modeling data was part of that. Um, And we see that in other jurisdictions and we see that when they review other, you know, other things as well. We saw this in the neonic discussion as well, where we were taking modeling data and extrapolating it out. And which I understand where there is an absence of data, a model may be helpful. But in my mind, you're not using scientific rigor if you don't then go out and verify the model. And when we do go out and verify the model, we don't find this particular um, this particular active in the grain in the byproducts it cfia themselves has said they don't find it there so while i understand what the modeling says if we verified it with real world information i'm not sure why we're having this discussion about it not being suitable for feed use 
At the same time, we should note that Syngenta, which is the registrar of this active ingredient, has appealed this decision. They had appealed it prior to this date. That first appeal did not go anywhere. Um, And so we are still in an appeal process here to add feed back to the label. Um, But Syngenta has said they they don't think it will be, or they're quite confident it's not going to be in time for 2023 for Western Canada. Yeah, and I've had a number of listeners reach out and say, hey, I've heard they're going to do like an emergency registration or emergency no. label and it's that that is um, our understanding correct me if i'm wrong Lindsay, that can't happen because of the number of acres that it would be used on it's right. not a so, minor well, use yeah so and i i mean I, I don't know the rules inside and out but realistically it's not minor use exactly that so it's acreage there are also there are other products still available they just cost twice as much so oh, i didn't know that okay yeah, there. I mean, and there's only. I think there are depending. So again, it depends on what pest, what crop. Uh, but there are there are a couple other options. Um, but they, yes, they're quite. Yeah, they're twice yeah. the price. Kelvin, yeah. I have a perception, and I, I think it's reality. Actually, I'll, I'll maybe I should just stretch it out to to make that kind of absolute. We have statement. a model, and you have to scientifically yeah. test it. Here, yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, in the second half of the Biden administration. We are going to see much more of a focus on trade issues. We've got the USTR launching their second dispute resolution panel under the USMCA Kuzma agreement as it applies to those uh, Canadian TRQ allocations. We heard Farmers for Free Trade this week really bumping up, saying, you know, trade, 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 trade. NCBA this week, I had interviewed the CEO of NCBA, Colin Woodall, and I asked him about it. You know, he he said we're just happy they're talking about trade period at all. Like that that's an improvement. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about trade from them in these uh, next year and a half. Yeah, there's probably political reasons for that as well, where uh, or that might be one of the drivers behind this. Uh, as uh, as Biden looks to the second half of his his term and uh, focusing on increasing exports in in states where he uh, wants to have support in in the next election, that or his his. Uh, party wants to have support in the next election could be uh, could be a driver of this and yeah i i do think from a canadian perspective there's aspects of this that uh, could be detrimental to canada when it comes to markets where we are c- competing or when the u.s is looking to export more into canada that could be detrimental to canadian producers such as on the dairy side of things but it, overall i think u.s being export focused and enforcing rules in the international market on on trade i think that's a good thing for Canadian agriculture in general, which is, again, largely export focused. Uh, a majority of our commodities are are reliant on export markets. And if the U.S. is going back into uh, this position of, uh, of enforcing global trade, even if it might be just for their own benefit, I think Canada can benefit from increased overall North American exports. Look at if we have good soybean sales or good corn sales to Asia, what that does to prices in Chicago and therefore does to prices yeah. in Canada as well. It's I, I think it's uh, potentially something that Canadian producers could uh, could benefit from in, as well in general. In NASCAR, we call that drafting. I think exactly. that's what we're doing. We're yeah. drafting. In this sense. I will add that did actually come up at the CAPI meeting earlier this week. There was the discussion of the importance of thinking about Canada as a part of a North American market. And of course, our relations with the US definitely a focus. And I think here in Canada, I think just just about everybody um, in that we are definitely an exporting nation uh, would fully support the US sort of gearing back up. But to Calvin's point, I'm a little concerned at what there there will be small 
parts and maybe not so small that we maybe suffer a little bit. Well, Canadian dairy, they're going to disagree with you. It's not good. Yeah. Yes, they (laughs) are. Dairy is the biggest example, of course, of of that. Yeah. 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 And there's potential on the environmental and climate side of things too. But, uh, oh, yes. So, sorry to interrupt. Perfect segue. That That's a big concern here this week. I've heard from folks, uh, officials at NCBA, heard from Colin Woodall, the CEO. I heard it from Ken Backus, Executive Director for Government Affairs at NCBA. Very concerned that an environment and sustainability objectives are working their way into trade text and the consequences of that. that that's a big deal here. I do wonder, though, in terms of in a global perspective, Canada should be in a relatively good position, I think, in terms of our environmental story. And, and I don't think we're going to be the first targets when it comes okay. to to carbon tariffs or things like that being implemented. But, yeah, it, it's a matter of whether we have the the uh, clout in in those trade negotiations to actually uh, uh, enforce that type of thing. Here's why I think you're wrong. OK, and it's all to do with our attitude our attitude is we are never doing enough. That's the problem there. We are we have a very good story to tell, Calvin. We just never want to tell it and we want to talk about how we just have so much we have so so much like so much room to improve. We have so far to go. We take sort of that attitude instead of getting our elbows out and saying, "Look what we're actually doing from a sustainability perspective." So, so I'm going to disagree with you, Sean. This is the gr- greatest panel ever. Um except for that it sort of kind of agrees with what you're saying is that I actually I think that we do say that, you know, and and we do know how good we are. My point and it's further to your last one is that we're not necessarily always willing to show what we do and what we have and what we can do. Um, and we've seen that. We've seen some significant pushback to actually putting you know, data and programs and these sorts of things together. At the same time, the idea of adding environment and climate to trade text, to me, just sounds like a great way to never have anything ever resolved. Non-tariff trade barriers. Right. Like, like, how do you get it in there that everyone can agree with, which ends up being you kick it out and then exactly it becomes a non-tariff trader. So I just to me, it just opens up a just a huge can of worms of because we can't agree on anything. Oh, on this. Where's the I mean, benchmark? Right. And yeah, where's the benchmark and, and all those sorts of things. And I think I think the U.S., if the overall overarching sense is we're a little concerned about this, I think they should be. I think that it does bring up probably more headaches than we can solve with it. So what's the overall agenda? Okay. So Kelvin, I disagreed with you. Lindsay disagreed with me. You now have to disagree with Lindsay to make this. Yeah. Kelvin, tell me I'm wrong about everything. I I do think as (laughs) if governments continue raising carbon prices, the, the need to prevent leakage and deal with leakage issues is going to be in North American agricultural producers' interests. We don't want imports coming from countries that don't have a price on pollution if we're paying a high price on pollution in, as part of production costs here. And that's where the, mm-hmm. the need to have something at the border to uh, level the playing field for domestic producers. I, I do think over time, if governments continue moving in this direction, uh, that needs to be dealt with somewhere. That gap is going to grow as, as our price on pollution in Canada. The U.S., of course, is taking not taking this approach right yeah. now or not having an overt uh, carbon tax or carbon price. But in Canada, that's something that we're going to have to deal with. You've just raised the reason why I'm the most concerned about carbon border adjustments is the fact that if we get in our heads that the U.S. does not take climate change seriously because they don't have a price on carbon, because that's the only solution. We've proved that. 
or we talk about it that way. Yeah. Then we decide we need to make sure we put a carbon border adjustment on our largest trading partner. That that's 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 oh, Canada single. can't do that. Well, let's yeah, hope a, not. It's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Watch us. Is yeah, watch us exactly. Okay, we got to yeah. take a break. Oh my goodness, we're running out of time here. You're listening to Real Life Radio, Rural Radio, one forty seven. The Advancing Women Conference, the National Leadership Conference for Women in Agriculture, is celebrating 10 years of bringing women in ag together. Calling all producers, students, entrepreneurs, representatives of grower associations, and corporate agribusiness together in Calgary on March 12th, 13th, and 14th. Visit advancingwomenconference.ca for more information and to register. Canola and its beautiful bright yellow flower blankets the prairies every growing season with 20 million plus acres. There's one place you need to go to get all your canola agronomic information, canolaschool.com. That's where you'll find all you need to know about seeding, disease, weeds and insects, harvest and marketing. Engaging and informative content all at your fingertips when you need the information. Visit canolaschool.com brought to you by Invigor Hybrid Canola and BSF Canada. Welcome back to Real Lag Radio. This segment's brought to you by Coke Agronomic Services, delivering nutrient management, nutrient protection, and seed enhancement solutions that make life on the farm just a little bit easier. See how KAS can help boost confidence and yield potential by visiting CokeEconomicServices.ca. Sean Haney, Lindsay Smith, Kelvin Hepner of Real Agriculture, talking about the biggest issues of the week. And, and the last two weeks, I've heard two weather forecasts, gang, and I am excited why am I excited? Because as was said yesterday by the weather forecast from Cattlefax, we're about to slam the door on La Nina. Kelvin, the drought may be over. That would be uh, great news uh, for uh, yeah, all the dry areas of, uh, of Western Canada, Western side of the U.S. Uh, yeah, man. Large geography affected by that. I thought you were going to ref- I thought you were referring to the, the groundhog forecast from yesterday. <laughs> Oh Not the one from the one in Quebec that died hours before, but uh, right. yeah. I, I don't think the groundhogs had, had as good uh, forecasts as, as uh, what you're hearing there, Sean, though. I think they were saying well, more weeks of winter. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's what we actually, that, so that's right on. Not to say that the groundhog and the actual weather forecast are connected. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I apologize. It's right up there with the fog thing. But the, the, we heard yesterday is we can expect on the Western Canadian prairies, a, a pretty cool March through May. Cooler than normal was what we heard. So that, that kind of ties to that groundhog, I guess. I think you're suggesting <laughs> that groundhogs could read. Um, no, but it's secondary to that, though, I, I'm a little skeptical of slamming any doors on something like a weather phenomenon like this in that, I don't know, it usually takes time for these things to peter out. And that you know, based on some of the weather discussions that we've had recently, looks to, it does look like we're going that way. I just don't know how quickly it's going to uh, happen. But oh my goodness, I really do hope that um, we are going to see a return to even average rainfall in many of these areas. That would be amazing. I have an answer for you on this. So this is oh, one yeah? of the things that Cattlefax pointed out yesterday, is that what ha- it starts in the ocean. So we're slamming the door right. on it yep. in the ocean. Now, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't like connect to the atmosphere right away. I know connect's mm-hmm. not the right word, but it's unclear 
how long it will take effect in the atmosphere. So just because it's 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 changed in the ocean, it does in twenty three, we may not you know it, it may be better but it won't be like to the full extent it's over. So there's a transition period that was explained yesterday mm-hmm. in, in, in that presentation. Now, this, all, this weather uh, changing patterns and potentially us ending, you know, getting closer to ending this drought in the western half of the US, we've got areas of the western Canadian prairies, still very dry. I think about the rancher, and there's been so much talk this week about the cow herd. Big concerns here in the U.S. about supply. In, in Canada, since 2003 BSE, we have had immense struggles trying to rebuild that cow herd and retaining those females. We need grass in order to do that. And, and that's, I'll tell you what, there was so much talk yesterday with a lot of ranchers about this weather pattern, Kelvin, people aren't going to increase the herd until they see the change. Yeah. And we've seen, like you said, in Canada, how difficult it is to get that uh, herd expansion happening and get that ball rolling again. So uh, even if, yeah, I, I, getting ample grass supplies, uh, feed supplies uh, in, in the cattle producing areas of uh, the Western U.S. would certainly be a huge, huge step in that direction. But uh, yeah, I, all this weather stuff is, is uh, way over my head in terms of understanding what the, the forecasts are that far out, but uh, it would be, uh, it would be great for, uh, for beef production and cattle production across North America. If that, if that could happen. I've been asking a ton of people, you know, where the heck are all these feeder cattle going to come from? And the response I give back, Mm. it's awesome. I get back. Good question. (laughs) That's not a great answer. Nothing else. People are wondering it. Well, and I don't know. I I didn't hear if Annie mentioned it in the first segment, but like just a few weeks ago, she, I think the numbers were something like, we're talking hundreds of thousands of cattle, you know, two years from now that are not going to exist because of reductions in the cow herd, right? Mm -hmm. Like the cattle cycle is, is quite long. And so you know, you're talking about building the herd. I'm talking about just can we maintain it? Can we just stop the 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 reduction of the cow herd, both in the US and in Canada? And ultimately grass is and, and forage is what's needed. So yeah. without it, we can't even stop the reduction, let alone build. Yeah, Ra- Randy Block, the head of Cattle Facts, said there is not there's just not enough profitability at the cow calf producer level. But I did hear a, a number of people talking yesterday about, you know, two, three, four years out we could have some very good times in the cow calf sector and let's keep our fingers crossed uh, for the rancher. Cause they, boy, they've sustained a, a long haul here for sure. What would a cattle convention be in the U S without talk about mandatory, mandatory country of origin labeling Lindsay. And uh, we've got a, an interview with Kent Backus uh, from NCBA posted at realagriculture.com talking about the American beef labeling act. It's come back to the Senate and uh, that would look at um, trying to take another run at MCOOL. Kent didn't sound, didn't have a lot of optimism for the bill in the Senate, but still we're paying attention really because we get our back, the hair stands up on the back of our neck in Canada when we talk about MCOOL. Well, I don't think we're alone on that though, right? I mean, a, a large portion of the American cattle industry didn't want you know, M cool either uh, to rear its ugly head yet again. Um, and that hasn't changed. Now, what, what, you know, is maybe more of a concern. It doesn't look like this bill is going to go anywhere um, in that it gives uh, USTR and USDA six months to get a trade compliant mandatory cool in place. I, I think that's an oxymoron. I don't know that you can have that. So then if they don't, 
get it in that six months, then it becomes law a year later anyway, which that doesn't work. So, but uh, Ken's point was to watch for that language showing up in a must pass bill, something like the farm bill, perhaps. So definitely has to stay on the radar because um, for our integrated beef value chain, M cool is all bad. So Mm. yes, I'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. A lot of talk down here about the U S farm bill and what that's going to look like and trying to get that passed Uh, in the media room, listening to other interviews going on. It was like, what do you think? You know, wide varied opinion on if they'll actually get it done here. We've got our own S cap to pass or to get implemented Kelvin and that we haven't heard a lot about that lately. No, things have been pretty quiet, at least in, in public. I'm assuming that ne- negotiations and discussions are still happening between the federal and provincial governments. But yeah, the Sustainable Canadian Agriculture Partnership is supposed to take effect April 1st. And uh, before that can happen, the provinces have to sign their bilateral agreements with the federal government with the details on how they're going to actually deliver the programs that use this funding. And uh, we have not seen any of those announcements yet. We did hear from Manitoba's Ag Minister a couple weeks ago at Ag Days in Brandon. He said he was expecting to have the bilateral agreement signed within weeks, not months. And he also talked about uh, the importance of having a smooth transition so that producers and others who, stakeholders who access funding through uh, through the FedProv Ag Policy Framework uh, would have certainty in terms of, uh, of funding that there won't be a gap. So wow. uh, yeah, but we should expect those announcements, I guess, in the couple, next couple of weeks. We'll see, though. We haven't. It's been pretty quiet, like you said. Okay, gang, we're out of time. Th- things go quick here. I, I, just, I have a lot more to chat about, but they're going to cut us off. So, uh, Lindsay, have yourself a great weekend. You too. Kelvin, you as well. Thank you, everyone else as well. And make sure you check out on the weekend, realagriculture.com. And also next week, we had a lo- I got a lot of content here coming from the cattle convention. So for all you uh, cattle producers out there, uh, we got a great bunch of stuff coming up on the website. Our cattle email also goes out on Monday. So check it out, realagriculture.com slash subscribe to make sure you get on that list or any of our other free newsletters that go out daily. If you have any feedback, send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com or call the Real Ag feedback line 855-776-6147. That's it for me, Sean Haney from New Orleans, Louisiana. Time to hit Bourbon Street and wrap up the week. Thanks everybody for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio. We'll chat again with you next week. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Real Ag Radio, brought to you by the complete FMC lineup of pre-seed, pre-emergent herbicides. Apply them with or without glyphosate for essential early weed removal plus long-lasting control while protecting your future glyphosate use. See your local retailer today.